We're looking at the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of preaching. The sermon that was preached by Jesus Christ. It's uh, recorded in Matthew chapter 5. So I would like you to turn there. If you're using a Bible under the seat in front of you, page 1115 will get you there. Be looking at verses 17 through 20 of Matthew chapter 5. Lord Jesus, you are the king. You alone are the king. And how wonderful to have your words to us. What you expect of us, what you want of us. Give us clarity. Help us to understand your word and more than that, help us to put it into practice. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus Christ is king and we Christians are kingdom people. We are citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that makes us an odd bunch here on planet Earth. (laughs) Jesus commanded us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Our lives are to be radically different from other people. In a word, we are to be righteous. We are to live righteous lives. Our lives are to be characterized by supernatural, radical righteousness. And that's what Jesus is teaching about as we continue this morning in verse 17. Notice what Jesus says, beginning in verse 17. He says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great. In the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you. That unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now remember in this sermon Jesus is preaching to a Jewish audience. Now, when the Jews thought about living a righteous life, they immediately thought of the law of Moses. For centuries, the Jewish people lived under the Mosaic law of the Old Testament. The Old Testament scriptures governed the way they were supposed to live. So to them, living a righteous life was keeping the law Of Moses. 
So Jesus is addressing that law in this passage. And by the way, he'll continue to address it all the way through the end of the chapter, all the way to verse 48. And basically, Jesus will be correcting their understanding of righteousness. There was a huge misunderstanding of righteousness in relation to the law that Jesus was correcting in this sermon. Now, understand, in those days, the law was used to speak of four different aspects. Number one, the law could simply stand for the Ten Commandments. When someone said the law, they may be just speaking about the Ten Commandments. They would also use that term, the law, to speak about the first five written books of the Old Testament. The Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Pentateuch. That was a holy section in the Old Testament That's where the story of how the law of Moses came to be. And it records all the details of the law of Moses. So it was used in that way. But then people would also refer to the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets referred to the entire Old Testament scripture in whole. The Torah, the historical books the poetic books like Psalms and Proverbs, and the prophetic books. The written entire Old Testament scripture. By the way, that's a big chunk in your Bible. Did you know that? Did you know that 929 chapters of the Bible are Old Testament? 260 chapters are New Testament. Three-fourths of your Bible is Old Testament. It's a pretty big chunk, isn't it? So the law and the prophets could refer to that. And then there was a fourth way that the law was used in those days. And unfortunately, it was the most common way. The law could speak of the religious system and oral tradition of the scribes. It could speak of the oral law or the scribal law. Now, that was a religious system of oral traditions and interpretations built up around the written law. So, if you study the Old Testament, if you study the Old Testament law, it's pretty straightforward. There are different instructions that we're supposed to keep. But you will mostly find, in many ways, in the Old Testament law, these broad general principles which a man must take himself and interpret under God's guidance and apply to the individual situations in life. You have a lot of broad principles in the law. Later Jews, these Jewish experts in the law, they wanted to make sure that they did everything in the law and they were uncomfortable with broad general principles. They wanted to give specific interpretations. If a thing was not in the law explicitly, it must be there implicitly. And so they therefore argued that out of the law, it must be possible to deduce a rule and regulation for every possible situation in life. So the scribes made it 
the business of their lives to reduce the great principles of the law to literally thousands upon thousands of rules and regulations. This oral tradition. The best example of that is the Sabbath law. That's a very broad general principle. In the Old Testament, it says keep the Sabbath. Keep Saturday. Keep it holy. Don't do any work on the Sabbath day. Don't carry a load on the Sabbath day. Well, the scribes ask the question, what is work? So you're not supposed to carry a load on the Sabbath day. Well, what's the restriction in weight? And they came up with it. They said a load is equal to the weight of a fig. It's enough wine for mixing in a goblet. A load is milk enough for one swallow. Honey enough to put on a wound. Water enough to moisten an eye patch. Paper enough to write a note. Ink enough to write two letters. Anything equal to the list above or a fraction heavier was sinful to carry. These guys spent endless hours arguing whether a man could or could not lift a lamp from one place to another on the Sabbath day. Whether a tailor committed a sin if he went out with a needle in his robe. Whether a woman might wear a brooch or false hair. Even if a man might go out on the Sabbath with artificial teeth or an artificial limb. If a man might lift his child on the Sabbath day. Ridiculous. Absurd. Tedious. Religious traditions of man. The scribes even felt that it was work to heal on the Sabbath day. You could keep a sick or injured person from getting worse, but you couldn't do anything to promote his healing or improve condition that was work. All of these laws, all of these man-made traditions that they built up around the written law, and that was just the Sabbath day. They did it for every aspect of the law. In the third century A.D., All of that scribal law and oral law was summarized. It was codified. The summary is known as the Mishnah. Maybe you've heard of that. It contains 63 tractates on various subjects of the law. In English, it makes a book of almost 800 pages. Later, Jewish scholarship busied itself with making commentaries to explain the Mishnah. These were called the Talmuds. The Jerusalem Talmud had 12 printed volumes. The Babylonian Talmud had 60 printed volumes. So do you see what happened? Here's the Old Testament law of Moses written. Surrounded by the Mishnah. Surrounded by the Talmuds. The Old Testament law of Moses as written was entombed. In layers of embalmment of man-made religion. And unfortunately in the days of Jesus, when people thought of the law, they thought of that traditional part. 
the man-made regulations. Well, how was Jesus using the law in this passage? It's very clear. In verse 17, he says, Do not think that I came to destroy what? The law or the prophets. Jesus was speaking about the Old Testament scripture. As written. Jesus didn't care at all about the man-made traditions. In fact, he was sort of a rebel, wasn't he? He rebelled against all of their ridiculous rules. Made the Pharisees and the scribes all angry. Jesus went out of his way to heal people on the Sabbath in a synagogue service. Jesus and his disciples would travel all over, walking miles and miles on the Sabbath day. Jesus allowed his disciples to eat little grains, little heads of grain on the Sabbath day. Jesus cares nothing for man-made religious rule. But Jesus did care about the Old Testament scripture as written. In fact, look what he says about the Old Testament scripture, including the law in verse 18. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus had the highest regard and respect possible for written scripture. Written scripture is the final word. It's the authority. It's inerrant. It's inspired. Everything in written scripture will be fulfilled. And that process of fulfilling the scripture will go on until the end of this world. Jesus saw the written scripture as the perfect written word of God Down to the smallest detail. He says, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass. You know what a jot is? It's it's a Hebrew letter in the alphabet. Remember the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It's jot or yod. It's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It looks like an apostrophe. The tittle... Just like a little bitty stroke in one word. Like the difference between a capital O and a capital Q, that little hook. The difference between a capital E and a capital F, that one little line. Jesus said, the written scripture is authoritative. It is inerrant. It is the inspired word of God. Every book, every chapter, every paragraph, every verse, every sentence, every phrase, every word, every letter, every punctuation mark. That was Christ's view of Scripture. 
Jesus would say, don't you take anything away from the written word of God. And certainly, Mr. Pharisee and scribe, don't add anything to the written word of God. Don't mess with it. Don't even fiddle with the tittle. That was Christ's view of Scripture. Now, what should our view of Scripture be? (coughs) Same thing, right? What's the final authority in our life as Christians? Somebody's commentary? The traditions of some religious father out there? Now, what's authority for us? The written word of God. Down to the detail. Paul says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word of God is to have the ultimate authority in our lives. Jesus saw it as it truly is, the written word of God, and so shall we. By the way, both Old Testament and now for us New Testament believers... New Testament. All scripture. And Jesus demanded full compliance to the written scripture. He says in verse 19, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus would say, it's our final authority, and you better obey everything in the written word of God. From the least to the greatest, no matter what you might think. And so, too, we should have that same viewpoint of Scripture. And if we're going to live righteous lives, we need to live according to the commandments of the Scripture. So Jesus was really big. On the written scripture. Now it's interesting. When Jesus came on the scene. He was so much different than the religious. Rulers and leaders. For one I think he smiled. He had joy. There was excitement to Jesus. He wasn't like the Pharisees and the scribes. He wasn't. Always teaching all of these ridiculous, boring, silly religious traditions. Jesus was radically different from the religious establishment of his day. And don't you ever forget that. He was radically different. So radically different was Jesus that many people thought that he really wasn't into the law. That's why Jesus says here in verse 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophet. Don't believe what you're hearing about me. (laughs) Don't think that I came to destroy the law. Yeah, I'm against all those traditions, but I didn't come to destroy the written word of God, the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus said something staggering. He said, I left heaven, I came to earth. One of the reasons I left heaven and came to earth was to fulfill 
the law and the prophets. Think of that. So this word destroy, in the Greek it's a, a luso. It speaks of something that you would loosen up, kataluso, something that you would take down, something that you might repeal or annul. The, the ancient Greeks actually used the word to speak of loosening down a tent. You're taking a tent down. To fulfill is a word that means to fill up. To make complete. To fully explain. So I want you to think of it this way. Jesus did not come to earth to take down the tent of the Old Testament. He came to fill it up with meaning and give the full intention of it. Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament law and prophets. And he's fulfilled the law and prophets in amazing ways. Jesus is the only one who has ever lived in the history of mankind as a man. He's the only one who kept the law perfectly. He's the perfect law keeper. Jesus, as you know, was born into the Jewish people. He was born under the law. Eighth day of life, according to the Mosaic law, he was circumcised and he was dedicated in the temple. He grew up kosher. He grew up keeping the Sabbath day. He grew up keeping all of those feasts. And most importantly, Jesus perfectly satisfied all the moral demands of the law. He fulfilled it all. He's the only person who ever has done it. Jesus also fulfilled the Old Testament law and scripture in that he is the fulfillment of all of the prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah. The Old Testament said that the Messiah would be born where? Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin. Born into the family of David, which you can trace back to the line of Judah. He was born into that family. The Old Testament scriptures prophesy his crucifixion, his suffering, the resurrection. He fulfilled that. There are some prophecies yet for him to fulfill, and he will fulfill them at his second coming, literally. Jesus has fulfilled many of the prophecies and will continue to fulfill until all of the prophecies are fulfilled. Jesus said to the Pharisees and scribes in John chapter 5, verse 39, he said, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me. All of the Old Testament scriptures testify of Christ. Jesus spoke to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus on the day of his resurrection. He gave them a Bible study. I've always wanted to be a part. I wish I could have heard that Bible study. Luke tells us that beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded to them in all the scriptures things concerning 
himself. The writer of Hebrews puts these very words in the mouth of Jesus. Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will. All of the Old Testament is the story of Jesus. It all points to Jesus. It all speaks of our need for Jesus. Jesus fulfilled all of it. Jesus fulfilled all the elements of the Levitical sacrificial system and the Old Testament priesthood. All the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, the peace offerings, the fellowship offerings, the evening and morning offerings, the offerings at Passover, the offerings at all of the different feasts and festivals in the courts of the temple. All those pointed to Jesus and Jesus fulfilled them by one sacrifice. That's why you and I don't bring lambs to church. <laughs> that we butcher out there on the front porch. I've told you before, I am so glad I'm a New Testament minister. <laughs> Old Testament ministers were butchers. A lot of people like to say Jesus is saying, you got to live under the law here. Really, where's your lamb? Jesus fulfilled that part of the law completely and totally. Because he's the one and only sacrifice. I would also apply that to all of the many different ceremonial things of the Old Testament law and the kosher diet and all of that. The Sabbath day, the feast days, all of that. Paul said of those things in Colossians chapter 2, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. The substance is Christ. Everything in the Old Testament is a shadow. It points to Christ. We don't have to live in the shadows anymore. We have Christ. Jesus fulfilled all of the demands of the Old Testament law, including the curse of the law. Do you know the law says of itself that you're cursed if you're under the law? You're cursed unless you keep every bit of it. We can't keep the law. That makes us all accursed. Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Jesus became the curse of the law. On our behalf. So that we might become righteous. The law's demands were pretty simple. Keep it or die. Jesus kept it so he didn't have to die. None of us kept it so we all deserve to die. Jesus fulfilled the demands of the law for us so we don't need to die. 
Jesus fulfilled the demands of the law when he died for us, taking the law's punishment for our sin. And he demonstrated that the price had been paid when he rose again from the dead. Do you see Jesus absolutely fulfilled every part of the law on your behalf? Every part. We have it so much better. But in this sermon, Jesus is also demanding righteousness. Practical, righteous living. And he, in this sermon, is showing what the real intent of the law has always been when it comes to righteous living. The righteous standards are still there, and they're still very great. And Jesus was saying... True righteousness looks nothing like the righteousness of those Pharisees and scribes. Verse 20. When Jesus said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. There would have been an audible gasp. Your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes, the Jews in Jesus' day had a saying. And I quote, if only two people were allowed into heaven, one would be a scribe and one would be a Pharisee. (laughs) Nobody was more righteous than the scribe or the Pharisee in the eyes of the common people. When Jesus said, your righteousness has to exceed theirs, They're like, what in the world? Now, Jesus explains real righteousness, radical righteousness. The righteousness he expects of his people and his kingdom, not under the law. See, the Pharisees were all about those external, outward acts of religious tradition. They had all those rules They look very pretty on the outside. It was all about external things that you do. But inside, they were dead. There was no inner righteousness for those religious folks. In fact, Jesus told them later, in the, later on in, in, in Matthew 23, he said something to the Pharisees, he said, you know, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You look real pretty on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Jesus speaks of a radical righteousness inside that works its way out. into righteous living. That's the type of righteousness that he expects. A real righteousness inside. An inner power. The right attitude. And so you're going to see, Jesus is going to comment on various sections of the law and the traditions that grew up around the law, and he's going to make them incredibly 
harder. You say, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, being sinfully angry at somebody puts you in danger of the judgment. The inner, not just the outer. Jesus will go on to say, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you lust in your heart for a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus will say, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. By the way, the law never told anyone. The written law never told anyone to hate their enemies. That was tradition from the scribes that they tacked onto the law. Jesus said, you've heard it said, said, not written, said, you're to love your neighbors but hate your enemies. I say to you, you're to love your enemies. In other words, my standard in righteousness is it for, for it to be real on the inside. And it works its way out. Gang, Jesus made the law harder. Did he not? He made it harder. I think about the young man who was tired of his parents' rules and curfews, grooming, chores around the house. He said, I can't wait until I'm old enough to get out of here so that I can go join the Marines. (laughs) Poor kid. (laughs) Jesus made the law harder. Because he put the law where it was always meant to be. In the heart. In the heart. The law was never meant to be a mechanical religious exercise. Ever. You just keep all these rules and, hey, look, I'm really good before you now, God, right? In fact, Jesus made it impossible I want you to skip and look at the last verse here in chapter 5. This is after he sums up all of this. Jesus finishes up this part of the sermon by saying, Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the type of righteousness. That God expects. A perfect righteousness inside. That matches a righteousness on the outside. So. Can we do that? Can you and I live the Sermon on the Mount perfectly? Absolutely not. And so Jesus will bring us. Right back. To ground zero. Beatitude number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those 
who recognize they can't do it. Blessed are those who know they're spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who know that they have absolutely nothing that they can offer to God. Why are we blessed when we come to realize that about ourselves? Because we'll cry out to God for salvation. We'll cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus would die on the cross for the sins of the world and rise again. We would desperately need him to be our savior. And the Bible teaches that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all of your sins are washed away. You're declared righteous. And you're given a new heart. You're transformed on the inside. You're given the power of the Holy Spirit. Righteous living is supernatural living. As God's people depend upon the Holy Spirit. That's what we're called. If you're a member of God's kingdom. You are to live out that supernatural righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit inside you. From a new heart, you become born again. You're not called to live under all these laws and worry about what foods you can't or can't eat. Jesus didn't die on the cross to preserve that. Jesus died on the cross to make man new. Brand new. In fact, that was always the intention of God. Listen to this promise that God made to his people in the Old Testament law. God made this promise to them. He said, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to make you new. Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. The Old Testament promises a day where mankind would be forgiven, born again in a relationship with God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, changed from the inside out. And that's what Jesus brought. And aren't you glad he did? My brother and my sister in Christ, the Lord does have big expectations for us. We are to live differently. Don't do it in your own strength, though. Live in a daily dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Make sure you're spending lots and lots and lots of time with Jesus. Reading his word 
wanting to grow closer to him because it's he who moves in and through us. One summer, a family went on an Alaskan cruise. The family enjoyed the vacation a great deal, but the dad came home with one observation in particularly that really impressed him. He said, the flowers in Alaska are huge. The pansies, the daylilies, they all had flowers that were just immense. Even the dandelions stood two feet above the grass with flowers that were six inches across. He wondered what kind of fertilizer the Alaskans were using. But when they inquired, they said none. Why then, he asked, are the flowers so big? And the answer came back, nearly 20 hours of sunlight in the summer. With that much exposure to sunlight, anything would grow bigger and stronger. And the same principle applies if I want to grow in Christ Jesus. If you want to get bigger in love, stronger in patience, stand taller in selflessness, shine brighter in godliness, spend more time in the sun. S-O-N. The Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us. Lord, we are so thankful for all that you've done. You fulfilled the law on our behalf. You took the curse of the law on our behalf. By your death and resurrection, we can be saved through faith in you. And you change our lives. You transform our lives. And I pray that we would live those radical, righteous lives before others in this world. Not in our own strength, but in the power of your Holy Spirit. And that people would be drawn to you. Help us, Lord. Lord, there's no better kingdom to be in inside your kingdom. Citizens in your kingdom. With every head bowed, eyes closed, Can I just ask you a question? Are you a part of the kingdom of heaven? Are you in God's kingdom? Are you in the kingdom of Christ? Maybe you thought, well, of course I am. I'm better than other people. I'm real religious. Now you got to be perfect. And you're not perfect. Christ died for the imperfect people. Christ, the perfect one, died in place of the imperfect one. He paid for the sins. He rose again. And if you will place your faith and trust in him, the one who died for you, you'll be forgiven. You'll become a member in the family of God, a citizen in his kingdom. You will become born again. And the Holy Spirit will take up residence in your life. And you will be changed now 
and forever. Have you received him? If you haven't, I want to invite you to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ right now as your Savior. Say, Lord Jesus, in the quietness of your heart, I am a sinner. I am imperfect. Absolutely. And I need forgiveness. And I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Wash away all my sins. Give me a brand new start. Make me born again. Fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you. Live a life that's pleasing to you and that draws others to you. In Jesus' name, amen.